Hello, and welcome to this focus episode of How We're Wired. My name is Eva Higginbotham. I have a PhD in neuroscience, and I'm the producer of this series for the Bertarelli Foundation. These focus episodes are a chance for us to dig into more fascinating stories of our brains, how they work, and how scientists are studying them. In episode one, we heard about how the brain develops before birth. And this week, we're looking at one of the most critical aspects of brain development, learning a language, with some help from a little friend of mine. Well, and his mum. I'm Alice, and this is my nine-month-old son. He really doesn't like sleeping or loud noises, but he really likes to eat bananas. He loves standing. He also loves, as it turns out, wires. Hi, that's not for you. Sorry, honey. Here's your cable. Look, that's a nice one just for you. No, I'm not being very nice. I'm not like you can give him Winnie the Pooh as well if you might. If you might, um, it's about as big as him actually. He likes to babble, and he started um, saying da 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 da, but no other ma ma ba ba. None of the other sounds yet. So, what have you read or heard about language development? That it's really important. Talking to your child is the single most important thing you can do for that outcome. You know, from what I understand, you're supposed to like just describe everything that they're seeing and watching and looking at. The goal is to have them chat as long as possible. You're supposed to, when you're doing that, take turns so they learn like the fundamentals of a conversation. So you're supposed to chat and then pause and chat and then pause. And we're just trying to encourage them to get to his first word. So what's going on in this little one's brain as he's trying to learn to communicate through language? And how do scientists actually study that in the lab? I headed to Oxford Brookes University to find out. Hi, this is Eva. Hello, I'm just outside the Sinclair building on the corner. OK, I can see all the graduates in... Um... So there's a graduation going on today, and I have to say I feel a little underdressed uh, in my jeans and trainers. Hi. My name is Nayeli Gonzalez Gomez. I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at Oxford Brooks, and I'm also the research lead at the Oxford Brooks Baby Lab. So we're actually recording this in the Baby Lab, and it's just a lovely playroom. There's, you know, I can see a toucan on a tree um, painted on the walls. There's monkeys. There's this amazing uh, caterpillar rocking horse, which looks great. And so in the baby lab, what you focus on studying is language. Is there any particular part of the brain that is involved in understanding language and then also being able to speak language? Yeah, so there's two areas of the brain that have been particularly highlighted for exactly those roles. Wernicke's area will allow you to understand language. There's lots of research with patients, for example, who had some lesions in that region of the brain, and that means that they will be able to speak, but then they are not able to understand what you are saying, and what they say, it doesn't really make sense. So they are very fluent in their language, but it doesn't make sense. The other region of the brain that has been highlighted in terms of language production is what we call Broca's area. And then Broca's area will allow you to 
put together the plan of what you are going to say. And then so patients who have lesions in Broca's area, they won't be able to produce sentences. In fact, the most famous patient with a Broca's aphasia was called Tantan, because the only thing that he could say was Tan, Tan. So that was the only syllable that he was able to produce. These patients will be able to understand language quite well, but they won't be able to produce language. So although these two areas of both Bernicke's and Broca's are very important for language, there's loads of different areas that will be also involved. And also it's about how these areas will be connected. That is quite important. It goes to show, I guess, that it's like really a language is made up of multiple steps. We think of it maybe just as, you know, we think of something and we speak, but there's quite a few processes that occur to get there. So then in terms of the brain itself, what is happening when a baby is learning a language? So what happens when a baby learns a language is forming connections. So all these billions of neurons that we have, we have about 86 billions of neurons, will just start making connections with each other. And then those connections, the more you learn something, the more you practice something, then those connections will become stronger and stronger. And then that means that you will become more efficient and then doing those things will become effortless. So at the beginning, producing just one word for a child is really effortful because those connections are not very strong. But then they will be able to produce any words and sentences and paragraphs and just talk and talk and talk and talk without stopping. As they do. As they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just about those connections. So when it comes to a baby trying to learn a language, when does that process start? So it starts in the womb. So at around 28 weeks of gestation, and then babies will start to be able to hear, to perceive what is going on around. For example, if there's a song, they will be able to perceive it. Not in the same way as we do, as when you are inside a swimming pool, like deep down, there's somebody having a conversation. You can kind of hear that there's people talking, but you are not able to tell exactly what they are saying. So that's kind of how babies will perceive speech. Then there's studies that show that fetuses, they will show a preference for mommy's voice. They show differences in heart rate. And not only that, for example, if you ask the mom to read a nursery rhyme for a few weeks, a couple of times a day, and then you present that nursery rhyme to the fetus versus another nursery rhyme, they will show a preference for the nursery rhyme that mommy was reading. So they will recognize that melody of that nursery rhyme. So if they start listening when they're still fetuses, does that listening then start the beginning of developing language themselves? So at the beginning, what is the most important thing is what we call the prosody. So that will mean the way you speak. So for example, how you say things. So it's not the same if you say something when you are sad than when you are happy. So then it's just like the emotion that you are conveying. It's also the stress. For example, in, I can say mama versus mama, or in English, for example, you have record versus record. So what happens next is that in the first months of life, they will still be very tuned to the prosody of the language. So they will still just pay attention a lot to how you say things. And then something that is quite important is just what we call infant direct speech. So that means the way we talk to babies is different to the way we talk to adults. To adults, if the visual representation of speech will be quite flat, it's a very boring way we talk to adults. However, if you look at the way we talk to babies, you will see that it changes a lot. So then it will 
Marcel. Oh, hi, little baby. How are you doing? Oh, you are so cute. So then I won't speak to, a, to an adult like that. I feel, I feel silly, actually, speaking like, <laughs> to you like that. You won't do that, but you do it to babies just naturally. Babies are very receptive to those changes. And it's a way of engaging the baby as well. And they will start also learning the sounds of the language. So just to summarize, when babies are born, the system is ready to learn any language, right? Because the system doesn't know whether it's a baby being born in China or a baby being born in, in the UK or a baby being born in Mexico. So the system doesn't know which language. So the system is ready and open to learn any language, However, what happens in the first year of life is that the system needs to specialize to the specific language that that baby is learning. So a baby learning English needs to learn the rules of English, needs to learn that there are certain sounds that are relevant in English and that the system should ignore any other sounds that are not relevant for English. So very early on, Babies are very good at distinguishing between any sounds or any characteristics of any language in the world better than adults. For example, in Hindi, they have two types of T sounds. I, I'm not even attempt to do that because I have heard those difference for thousands of times because I, I work with that contrast and I'm still not able to tell the difference between that. But six-month-old babies, English-learning babies, they are able to tell the difference between these sounds. And by around nine months of age, they are no longer able to tell the difference between those. So the system needs to learn to ignore all the things that are not relevant so that then you can just process language efficiently. And that's what babies are, are doing. The human brain loves efficiency. Use it or lose it, as they say. And if you think about how fast we need to be able to process language, from hearing the sound, processing it as speech, decoding what it means and thinking of a reply, just to hold a normal conversation, it makes sense that our brains do everything they can to save time by specialising in only the most relevant sounds. But, as Nigeli said, the patterns of stress and intonation in a language, called the prosody, matters too. And the role that plays in language learning is something Nigeli studies in the lab. She took me through to a small, dark room with a comfy chair facing a TV screen. This room is used during experiments. A baby will sit on their parents' lap and watch the screen while under the close observation of an eye tracker. Here, that uh, so just at the bottom of the screen, we have a, something that we call an eye tracker. So an eye tracker is just a special camera that uses infrared light to create a reflection on the eyes. The infrared light monitors how long the baby spends looking at different things on the screen. And it's used as a readout of what the baby is paying attention to, or thinking, including whether or not they've understood a word that they've just heard. We settled in to watch a video of a baby recorded during an experiment in prosody. Um, so we've just watched a little video of a cartoon lady <laughs> um, using her eyes to point at different objects and and using words like a lager, a, 
Kaduga, which as far as I'm aware are not objects in English. Exactly. So that this is what we call a word learning task. So that means that the lady is going to present a first object. She's going to label the object six times. Then she presents a second object. She labels the object six times. And then we present both objects on the screen and ask for one of them to see whether or not they were able to learn the new word that we just taught them. And the reason we are doing that is because some of the words that we are teaching them are stressing the first syllable and some of the words that we are teaching them are stressing the second syllable. And we know that actually 90% of words in English are stressing the first syllable. So what we are doing is to try to see whether or not babies can use this knowledge to learn new words. By presenting these made-up words to babies at 14 and 16 months old, Najeli found that the younger babies were able to learn the first syllable stressed words, but not the second syllable, whereas 16-month-old babies were able to learn both. And because the first syllable stressed words, like how we say table rather than tabel, are much more frequent in English, this suggests that babies can use the knowledge that they acquired in their first months of life about their language to learn new words later on. Because, like with anything, the more often a rule is applied, the easier it is to learn, as those connections between neurons in our brains are reinforced. Frequency also matters when learning which sounds are allowed to go together. For example, in English we have a lot of words that end in an ng sound, which we spell with an NG, words like spring or wing or thing. But there are no words that start with that sound. Whereas many Bantu languages like Swahili have plenty of words that start like that, like nyombe, the word for cow, which for me as a native English speaker and non-Swahili speaker is actually pretty hard to say. Babies are paying attention to that kind of thing, though, and their brains are actually running statistical models in the background, trying to figure out, from frequency, which sounds go together more or less often, as that helps them learn which of the sounds they're hearing are likely to be forming words. We went next door to another small dark room to watch another experiment that was looking at how babies make sense of different sounds. So on a big screen, we've got some some flashing circles that are yellowy, um, getting wider and smaller. There was a green one a minute ago, and there's a little video of a baby looking <laughs> looking at the dots in great amazement. Jeesh, cheg, yeesh, sheg, theth, yuj, sheth. Zeech. Watch. What we were doing is just to present sounds. And in this case, we were presenting sounds that are with sound sequences that are very frequent in English versus sound sequences that are not very frequent in English. And we want to see when during development babies will show a preference for the sound sequences that are more frequent. So that means that we can actually tell that they already were able to compute these stats in their brain and then know that those sort of sequences are more frequent. So this was part of a longitudinal study that I was doing, testing babies born preterm, babies born full-term, babies from higher or lower socioeconomic status background, what Najeli found, in terms of the preterm babies in the study, was that they weren't delayed in their grasp of the sounds of English or of the ways those sounds can go together, the things that babies normally start learning after they're born. 
But they were delayed in their understanding of prosody, the ways in which intonation and emotion can change the meaning of words. So that's really interesting. So is that because... You know, you mentioned earlier that towards the later stages of gestation is when babies are starting to understand prosody. So that's something that just is a bit delayed then in babies who were born preterm and didn't have that time in the womb. So our explanation of those results for the preterm babies is that preterm babies, they basically lost their exposure to prosody in the womb. So that means that a baby born full term, they will have exposure to prosody fast and then once they are born, they have the whole other things. However, babies born preterm, they lost that exposure and then they are just suddenly exposed to everything at the same time, which makes the system focus their attention at different properties and different things. So they will focus more their attention on the sounds and the rules about the sounds rather than the, the prosody. That might be one explanation. It was incredible to come across yet another reason why the smart sanitary pads we talked about in our last episode could have such a big impact on brain development and how the brain continues to develop after birth. So it sounds like for the first, you know, nine or ten months of a baby's life, they are just incredibly busy trying to make sense of the sounds that they're hearing. How does that then go from being able to identify and pick out specific words to then trying to recreate those words and starting to speak so at the same time so when babies start learning and doing all the things that we have been talking about they will just start playing with their mouth right and with the sounds that they will start producing so babbling is a very important part of language because it allows babies to figure out how to produce the sounds they will pay lots of attention to the lips because by looking at somebody speaking, then you can also see how they are moving their lips. But that is a very difficult task, and then that will take loads of time. So that's why all the babies are able to understand their first words relatively early, at, at, at around six months of age. They won't be able to produce their first words until quite a few months later, so around their first year of life. But they will be able to understand much more than what they actually can say. It's just that it's very effortful for them to do that. When talking feels so natural for us, it's amazing to think how much sheer effort goes into learning how to understand language and how to speak. Although it is true that babies and children have a leg up on adults trying to learn another language, as their brains are more plastic, meaning it's easier for their brains to modify their connections or rewire itself than it is for grown-ups. And as Alice said earlier, the number one thing you can do to support your child's language development is talk to them. A lot. The more exposure, the better. And scientists have found that chatter from the TV doesn't count. It has to be real interaction with a back and forth. And now, at 11 months, Alice's son has continued making progress. Nearly there. And that's it for this week's Focus episode. Join us in two weeks' time to hear about how we hear, from synapses to sensing musical vibrations. I'm Eva Higginbotham, and this is How We're Wired. This has been a Fresh Air production for the Bertarelli Foundation. Subscribe or follow now for free so you never miss an episode.